Tonight, I felt like I want to say something, that the Lord's saying something, but I'm almost in the way. It's a funny feeling, um, so maybe I shouldn't speak at all. I don't know. I'm going to give it a go, but I just sense there is something the Lord's wanting to say and probably wanting to say to us, um, and I don't want to get in the way. I want... If you need to drift off when I'm speaking, the Lord starts speaking to you about something specific. I want to give you permission tonight. But one of the things that I'm so pleased God's been speaking through his people already tonight is this idea of more. That there is more and that he wants us to step into more. And as I was praying about tonight and revisiting it and revisiting it, I just sense that for some here tonight, something... God's going to begin something new in that understanding the more and that stepping into the more. But it's going to be something you'll just begin tonight and you'll need to press into as it goes on. Um, So let's just pray together. Could you bring up the um, open our eyes, Lord, is what I've called it tonight. Open our eyes, Lord. I want to speak about God opening our eyes to see more of his glorious reality of who he is and who we are in him. It's as simple and as profound and as complex as that tonight. So let's just pray, shall we, before we dig into God's word. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you for dwelling amongst us and leading us already tonight. Please speak your truth now into our hearts in a way that we might hear it, in a way that we might be brave enough to allow you to change us again tonight, that we might look more like Jesus come the end of our meeting together. Come Holy Spirit and speak now, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Is this one working, John? Can you hear me? So I had one introduction, I'm going to scrap it because I'm not sure the picture is actually very good. Um, Instead I want to tell you on Saturday, or that's yesterday, I did one of the things that I don't know if parents loathe or um, love, and that's uh, accompany children to a birthday party. I don't know. You kind of like it and you kind of don't. It's kind of fun and it's kind of just stood around with your hands in your pockets sort of making small chat to other parents, but... This birthday party was actually at a place called Flip Out in Wellington, and it's a massive warehouse, about four, five, six times the size of this big bit of church up here. And um, in it, as its name gives away, are plenty of things that you can jump on and flip on and run on and climb on. It's an extraordinary uh, sort of everything from soft play right the way through to massive trampolines and like just like this whole area would just be filled with different trampolines and climbing things and ninja courses and and pugil stick courses, you name it. It's like an absolute playground. It's an extraordinary place. I've not been before. And all my children were invited. Um, And that includes little Harry, the little blonde one who runs around. Now, can you imagine little Harry in a place like this? It was a joy watching him, his little eyes sort of looking at me and looking at it as if to say, is this freedom for me? Can I go? And what he did, it was fascinating to watch. He went to a little part of it that was no bigger probably than here, and it was just a little soft play area inside it. And he must have spent the first half hour of this hour that he had whizzing around in here and having such fun. And it had slides and it had little bits that he could climb on whatever. 
And as I watched him, I mean, the irony being this tiny little space in this huge warehouse of so much more. And as he played, and as he got a little bit more confident, I began to watch him just poke his head out of this little corner and just have a look around and begin to realise there was more. There was more he could do. And so by the end of it, he'd managed to just come over to this bit as well, where there were these huge big pits full of foam that you could just jump into, and he realised that he was allowed to do this. And it was huge fun. And he could pick up the blocks of foam, he could throw them at people, and he could run around with these blocks and just look really pleased with himself. (laughs) And as I watched him, as his confidence grew, and as he realised, as he kept looking up, It wasn't just about this tiny little thing that I could have fit in our shed in the bottom of our garden. There was an entire warehouse for him to explore. Now, he's probably only touched a tenth of it, if that. And as he grows older, and if we ever go again, it costs an arm and a leg, so I'm not sure we will, but if we ever go again, he'll go to the next bits and the next bits, and he'll discover there's more and more of this wonderful place for him to play and enjoy And I like that picture a lot better than the one I was going with because there's a picture of a child enjoying play and discovery but me as an adult realising there was so much more for him but letting him discover it and letting his eyes open as he goes around and discovering more and more and more. And as he grows older, he'll discover more and more and more. And the passage I want to speak on tonight is... Well, it begins with the king of Aram rather angry. He's angry because he's encountered someone who can see more. He's encountered someone whose reality is much bigger than his. He's come across a prophet of Yahweh, a prophet of the Lord, Elisha filled with the Spirit of God, even in these Old Testament times. And the king of Aram is infuriated, because his plan is... So Aram's roughly where Syria is now. So if you're looking at the map with Israel, Syria up here, um, they border, the nation's border. So you've got Israel, northern kingdom, you've got Judah, southern kingdom, Israel, border with Aram, as it was called then. And what Aram were doing is they were kind of at this sort of on and off war with Israel this whole time. And what he'd do is he'd take his troops and guerrilla warfare camp somewhere near the border and then he would go over the border, raid and nick loads of stuff and plunder and come back. But what was happening was every time he tried one of these sneak attacks to come to the border, Israel would just be stood waiting there going, hello, (laughs) all right? (laughs) Lovely surprise that one, wasn't it? See you later. And he'd get infuriated. It's almost like a Basil Fawlty comedy sketch. You can imagine him, who's doing it? Who's telling them what's going on? Someone here must be a cheat, or someone here must be a mole, or someone here must be talking to them. And one of his officers just turns around and says, no, it's not us. There's a prophet, a man of God in Israel. And it's as if he hears everything you say, even what you say in your bedroom. This prophet knows more. He sees more than we do. He's encountered more. His understanding of this world is far greater than theirs would ever be. So what on earth was going on with Elisha? How on earth could he know so much? Well, let me flick through that one. 
His eyes were open. <coughs> Elisha's eyes, and I'm going to say Elijah, and when I do, I apologise. Uh, Elisha's eyes were open to a whole different reality than the kings or the people of the time knew. You see, in his rule book, um, no, basically, <laughs> if the people of Aram and most of the people of Israel lived life by a certain rule book, it was as if Elisha had an entirely different rule book altogether. I think that's what I want to say. They kind of knew this is what's possible in this world, and Elisha kind of was like, well, that's a great rule book, but my rule book is entirely different. Um, because Elisha basically had his eyes open to the reality of not just the physical realm, but also the heavenly realms, is what scripture calls the heavenly realms, the spiritual realms. And he knew more than that. He knew that these two realms interacted more than we realise, and that the heavenly realms and the spiritual realms impacted the physical realm a lot more than most people would ever understand. And he knew that this physical reality was not the only reality. In fact, it wasn't even the main reality. It was just the reality that most of us live in and walk in and see, limited as we are. So here in the middle of the Old Testament is this prophet, this man of God, filled with God's spirit, whose eyes were open to the heavenly realms, to the more. And so he was a man who lived by an entirely different rule book. He knew things that were impossible here on earth were possible in heaven. And he was a man who brought about the reality of heaven, allowed it to break through, through his ministry, listening to the Lord, open to God's voice, obeying him as he spoke, and he saw the reality of heaven impact and change the reality of earth, this physical reality that we understand best and most of our lives we live in. He was a man who was fallible, ordinary in many ways, just like me and you, but filled with God's spirit, eyes open to the more. And because of that, if you just flick through and read Elisha's ministry, as I did again this week, we see he healed the sick, raised the dead, performed miracles over and over again. Does that remind you of someone? Healed the sick, raised the dead, performed miracles. I was reading it, I was going, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Cheeky old Elisha. He's this foreshadow of the perfect one who would come, filled with God's spirit. Jesus. Although Jesus was and is and always will be eternally God, scripture tells us that he limited himself. He became like us. He took on flesh, just like you and me. He was tempted, limited in choosing to limit himself, and yet through his obedience to Father God, through his relationship with Father God, through his filling and openness to the Spirit at work in him, the Spirit that rested on him and filled him, he was able to live by an entirely different rule book than most people around him in the day. He had his eyes fully open to the reality of heaven and he heard and knew the voice of his heavenly father. He was not just limited to the physical world around him. 
And what Jesus did is he declared something extraordinary. He declared that the kingdom of heaven, this reality that we can barely see, is breaking in now into the physical realm. That the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. Repent was his main message. Turn your life around for God's rule and God's reign. This God who in the Old Testament no one had ever seen or could see. His reality, his rule, his perspective, his love, his power, his freedom, his joy, his healing, his touch is now going to be breaking into this world, this physical world this dark and bound and hurting earth, who he loves so much, whom he made. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Jesus said. It's come near. The spirit of the Lord is on me, Jesus said, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, he said. If I'm casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, has arrived among you, he said. You see, Jesus was always fully aware of the real battle around, the spiritual battle, a battle in the spiritual realms that impacted the the physical realm in all sorts of ways. He knew that although Father God was unshakable in his rule and reign on his throne, that so much of this world had been impacted and tied up by the enemy in sin and in darkness and in rebellion. But Jesus had come to win it back. Jesus had come to take it back from the hands of the one who never had the authority to hold it in the first place. 1 John 3.8 says, The Son of Man came to destroy the works of the enemy. Jesus said, the enemy comes to kill and steal and to ruin, to destroy, but I've come now that you may have life and have it in all its fullness. Jesus came back to take all the authority, to win back a people who would freely choose now to follow God once again, free from religion, forgiven, loved, and in relationship with Father God. And he would do that ultimately by going to the cross. And one of the lenses with which we can see the cross is that on that cross, there he went to to defeat the great deceiver, the great liar, who from the beginning has always wanted to be listened to and obeyed, but who would lead people into sin and brokenness and pain and rebellion. There on that cross, he would finally defeat Satan and all of Satan's plans. The power of death and sin would be broken. Before he went to the cross, Jesus declared in John 12, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And as he hung there, before he took his final breaths, among other things, he declared, it is finished. This reign of darkness now, this reign of Satan's power over humanity, this rebellion, this sin, this brokenness, it is finished. I have broken the stronghold. I have cut the cords now. And in rising from the dead, the declaration went up that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not Satan, 
not mankind, not any other pretender or liar or political force or military force or ideology. Jesus Christ is Lord, the one who rose from the dead, defeated death, sin, and the works of the enemy. Yes, the battle still rages. We know that, don't we? But the war has been won. It was won on that cross. Yes, Satan still has some power. Christ made that clear. But although he still impacts this world, his plug's been pulled, if you like. His days are numbered. And because of Jesus' victory on the cross, now the kingdom, God's kingdom, can come and break in in new ways. His will can be done in ways that weren't possible before, just as it is in heaven, just as Jesus taught us to pray, just as God always intended it to be. This is the battle that Jesus engaged in, and it's the battle he calls us as his followers to join him in. Just as he came to undo the stranglehold of the enemy on people's lives, so he calls us to do the same. As the Father has sent me, so I send you, Jesus said. And he gave his disciples the Holy Spirit in John 20. The same Spirit. Follow your pneumatology. Uh, that's the theology of the Spirit through scriptures. The same Spirit, the Spirit of God that dwell in Elijah, that dwelt perfectly in Christ, now dwells in you and I. The Spirit of God. And so tonight, it's a really simple prayer I want us to pray. And I want to invite you to pray tonight. Open our eyes, Lord. Because, friends, we cannot fulfill all that Christ has called me and you to do if we're blind to the spiritual reality of life. You and I were born again to be a people who see things fully, a people with a vision not limited to just this physical world, this physical reality around us, but a people who live by, believe it or not, the same rule book as Jesus. A people who know and see that God is at work all around them, who learn to hear his voice, to recognise his ways, to see things his way, to learn his wisdom, people who boldly step out and see God's kingdom of peace and joy and love and healing break into the lives of our lives and our communities and of individuals in a world that so desperately needs it. The Bible says it's like a whole new way of thinking, being a follower of Christ. Paul put it this way, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is a way that the world does it. And here he's talking about sin, but there is so much more to this statement. Don't conform anymore to the limited ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Let the Spirit open your eyes that you may see fully all that God is up to. And so there are two really simple things. I'm going to be quick on them, as quick as I can be, that I just want us to take tonight. If we're going to open, uh, have our eyes opened more by the Lord, and I think for some of us tonight it will be just a moment where we pray, Lord, open my eyes and he'll start something new. There are two simple things I want us to see or understanding in, in a new way tonight. And the first 
is that God might open our eyes, really, again, to the reality of the one who is with us. He is with you. I'm so aware it's difficult for us in the West, all of this stuff. The way we're made, our rational thinking. But we want to ask the Lord to open our eyes to the reality of the one who is with us every day at work all around us. You see, when Elisha's servant woke up, he realised that the king of Aram had got so cross with Elisha that he'd sent a sneaky army in the night, and for whatever reason, Elisha... Well, it just doesn't say. He might have known it was coming. But the servant certainly didn't. He was absolutely terrified. And can you blame him? He knew that they were going to be killed, uh, that they were there to kill him. They'd surrounded the city that they were staying in, and he panicked. But extraordinarily, Elisha didn't. He didn't panic. Elisha's response is extraordinary. He says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. You see, Elisha could see what his servant was blind to. Elisha could see that this particular battle was not just physical, it was spiritual too. And although in the physical realm it seemed that they were completely outnumbered, Elisha could see from a heavenly perspective that the hills all around were filled with horses and chariots of fire, heaven's armies. It's an extraordinary moment. It's one of my favourite moments. Um, I've got a bunch of them throughout scriptures. One that's stuck with me since a kid. This moment where we realise the reality that was always there. But finally, the servant can see it when Elisha prays for him. Open his eyes, Lord, Elisha prays, so that he may see. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And God opened Elisha's servant's eyes and for the first time he saw heaven's reality. It always been there. I want to say that again. It didn't change when his eyes were opened. It was always there. But he just couldn't see it before. And because he couldn't see it, he would have panicked and run or surrendered or done something daft. But now he could see the armies of God. He knew he need not be afraid. And the truth is that all the way through Jesus' ministry, the Gospels give us these tiny glimpses into the reality that he lived in. The reality that he saw. So much, I think, of the peace and the authority that Jesus walked in came from his full perspective. His fuller perspective than we have. With which he viewed every situation even as he walked as a limited human on this earth. At his baptism, the voice of the Father breaks through, this is my son, with whom I'm well pleased. All his miracles, provisions, healings, he knew the battle he was fighting. And he released the power and the healing and the reality of heaven into this earth, this physical realm. And we get perhaps the greatest glimpse of this is transfiguration, that moment where he climbs that mountain with James and John and Peter and they just see him for a moment in heavenly glory. And they say, shall we stay here? This is amazing. Like, no, no, it was just for a moment, just a moment their eyes were opened. Friends, this isn't, um, I want to be careful here, this isn't a false dichotomy. I'm not trying to create some kind of 
um, dualism between good, spiritual, bad, physical. No, Jesus came that the physical might be transformed, that our reality might be transformed by the reality of heaven when these two met. God is not against this physical world. He wants to see this physical world impacted, changed and transformed by the reality of heaven, the beauty and glory of heaven breaking in his kingdom coming just like it is in heaven now on earth. Every step of the way, Jesus viewed things with his eyes wide open and he knew that the earthly realm and the spiritual realm impacted one another in a way that we rarely understand and I'm I'm not saying I'm the expert on this, guys. I'm just pulling out scripture and teasing out these truths from the Bible. Indeed, even as he died on the cross, it was almost as if the earth itself felt the spiritual significance of what happened. The sun went dark and the earth quaked. So if I'm going to be quick on this, I want to say two things on this. I want to say that, friends, the greatest trick of the enemy in our culture, I think, is to stop us realising that there's more to this life than just what we see with our eyes. I think it's probably one of his greatest tricks. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that, wasn't it? Convinced us that he doesn't exist. The enemy must love the fact that Western culture is so certain, we are so certain of our empirical or empirical and rational worldview that we've shut down and shut out any concept of the spiritual reality that exists. Indeed, there are even some Christians who believe that when they die, they're going to go to heaven in that kind of way, but they refuse to believe that heaven can impact our lives today. They refuse to believe in the gifts of the Spirit or in miracles or in anything beyond the scientifically rational. And I've got a quote here. It's it's by one of a, a great theologian, actually, who said, we can't believe in a world of spirits and demons and believe in today's world of the electric light bulb. You, you can't do that anymore. You know science has switched on the bulb and switched off all that mythological nonsense. And so he spent his theological career trying to demythologize the Bible. Get rid of all the signs and wonders and explain them away. But friends, the Bible is really clear. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 6.12 This is not new age. This is not wacky. This is not weird. (laughs) It's just the biblical truth. It's orthodox Christianity. We don't take it to extremes. We don't become obsessed with a devil behind every rock or ailment. We don't stop taking medicine. We don't believe every illness, illness is a demon. Not at all. We're aware that we live in a fallen world. We are aware that we live in the now but not yet of the kingdom. It's not come in all its fullness yet. Medical, scientific insights are incredible gifts from God. They are his wisdom ultimately. But we must also be clear that the spiritual realm is real. And that we as followers of Jesus need to have our eyes open just as he had. For we're not only to understand that these things exist, but that they impact this world and life we live all the time. For without this understanding, we can't be the people God calls us to be and do the things that Jesus did and called us to do even greater things. So if the devil's greatest trick is to shut our eyes to this stuff, I think perhaps his second greatest trick is to make us fear it all. And I just want to be really clear on this tonight. 
you know, to, to fill us with such fear and horror at the thought of spiritual darkness, we retreat in fright and we're paralysed. But I just want to point out, no, it's Elijah's, Elisha's servant, not Elisha, who's frightened at the battle. It's not the one who has the true perspective. It's the one who only has the earthly perspective who's afraid. Elisha sees heaven's armies. He knows the one who is with him is greater than those who are against. And it was Jesus, time and time again, who when the disciples panicked on the earthly storms and worries and fears, who said, it's okay. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. He knew his heavenly father. And he knew who he was. And of course, now he says to us, and I'm with you. I'm with you. The Alpha and the Omega, the one who won the victory. Jesus overcome. Jesus overcame. Jesus overcomes. No one overcomes Jesus. He is the one who is with us all the way. And if he is for us, who could stand against us? So Elisha said, do not be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the wonderful truth is you might recognise this phrase because it's picked up and taken in the New Testament and it's turned and it's made even more beautiful. For God's now not just with us, but he lives in us by the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4, 4 You dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Do you see how that develops now because of Jesus, because of the gift of the Holy Spirit? To all of us. Friends, the same power as we sing that raised Jesus from the dead and crushed death and Satan's power completely now lives in us. We must realise this. We must believe it and we must let that truth begin to impact our thinking and our actions. He did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity but of power and of love and of self-control. Jesus doesn't want us to be afraid by having our eyes open. He wants the very opposite. He wants us to know just how safe we really are. He is with us, he is in us, and he's the one who has the victory. No matter what we're facing, no matter how tough things are, Satan wants to tell us either that none of that stuff exists or totally frighten us from all of this or totally intimidate us and tell us that we're outnumbered. Jesus simply wants us to realise he's with us, he's for us, he has the victory. Jesus plus one is... A majority, as someone said a hundred times somewhere, who I don't know, but they're right. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I'll be quicker on this one. Friends, the other thing, I think if we're going to have our eyes open even tonight a bit more to the reality of God, the one who is with us always, who is in us, we also need to have our eyes open to the authority that we have in Jesus. Elisha prays that the armies of Aram are blinded and then he commands them to leave this road and follow him to Samaria. It's brilliant. Samaria, a big stronghold and basically traps them in there. He knew with God's backing he had the authority to command enemies to go. And Jesus has declared to you and I that we too have been given authority over the works of the enemy. In Luke 10 we read, this is lovely, the 72 returned with joy to Jesus saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, and I love this, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. 
but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Don't think this is the big deal. The big deal is your names are written in heaven. You're saved. It's amazing. At the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given. Heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go. Go in my name. I'm sending you. We are those who have been forgiven. We are those whose names have been written in heaven. We are beloved. You are a beloved child of God. Heirs with Christ his ambassador. Once you were dead in sin and you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, this is scripture, but now you have been made alive in Christ. The Bible tells us that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, Ephesians 2. This is our new reality. This is who we are. And we have been sent as those who know this truth to carry on the works of Jesus in bringing about the kingdom of God, impacting this earth just as it is in heaven now on earth friends i want you to hear this tonight because i think it means something very very simple and something incredibly profound it means basically that your prayers matter so often when we pray and i also do this we come quietly and hesitantly as if we're not sure if god's listening or if it's okay jesus taught us to pray boldly to realise the authority we have in him. You may ask for anything in my name, he said, and I will do it. When you pray, don't just pray as a non-believer might do, in vain hope of being heard. When you pray, know that your heavenly Father hears you. And as we pray more and more according to his will, he answers our prayers. What is his will? His will, Jesus made clear. Pray this. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's how he taught us to pray. Come, Lord Jesus, bring your kingdom on earth. Will of God be done. The reality, the healing, the wholeness of heaven be known in this world now, in this earth now. That the works of Satan might be undone, the chains broken, people set free. We don't need to beg. We can be bold partners in this and declare it. And when we do this, And we pray like this, we engage in the reality both of heaven and on earth. In some way I can't fully understand, our prayers impact both. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Friends, I don't have all the answers. I don't know why some prayers seem to not be answered in the way we'd hope for. I don't know why everybody isn't healed or set free or come to know the Lord. But I do know that our prayers matter. I do know that your prayers matter. Let your eyes be opened again to that truth tonight. You have authority in prayer. Jesus taught that you can command, you can loose, you can bind in Jesus' name. It's not just for crazy charismatics that have got a bit too carried away. It's for Christians who follow Jesus and believe the Bible. Your prayers matter. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Would you stand for me, please? I'll ask the band to come back up. We've just got one more song we're going to sing tonight. But I want us to do something now, if that's okay. I want to give you the opportunity to whatever God said through my ramblings, to turn that into prayer now, in this moment. There's so much more we could unpack from this passage. I barely touched it. We could unpack how Elisha's 
heavenly wisdom in the end meant they, he didn't just destroy the army or fight the army. The enemy ended up being led peacefully into a different city and they all ended up with a feast. I mean, it's nonsense from an earthly perspective, but it was heaven's wisdom and it came and brought about peace and transformation and hope. But right now, I just want us to keep it simple and ask God to open our eyes. Open our eyes more. Have our eyes open more fully to the things of God, to the spiritual reality all around us. It doesn't necessarily mean we'll have physical visions of the heavenly realms like Elisha did, but it might mean that. That might be something you want to ask God for, maybe. You might feel prompted to ask tonight. But to have our eyes open definitely means that our way of thinking has begun to change. Our old default of seeing things only from the world's perspective is no longer our default. We gain a new default, which is asking God to show us where he is at in this situation, where he's at work all around us, in our families, our workplaces, our conversations, our homes to see the spiritual reality at at play and to pray and respond to it as God leads us. Perhaps at the end of the day, if you've never done this before, you can, as you retire for the night, think back through the day you've had. Picture the people you've spoken to or the places you've been and just ask the Lord as you do that to show you where he was at work. Lord, where were you in my day today? And as he begins to prompt you and show you where you missed him and where he was at work we become more sensitive to God at work around us in our everyday lives we become more expectant our eyes begin to open more so tonight let's just take a moment now I'm going to stop talking just to ask him Lord open our eyes so that we might see more of you Take away our fear of the enemy. Give us your peace. Open our eyes to the authority we have in you. The commission you've called us to. Let us not just see the chariots of our ram, but let us see the chariots of heaven. Show us your wisdom, we pray. Let's just pray in this moment.